Thank you for coming back to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm Sarah, and today, just as Ilya was vulnerable in our last episode, it's my turn. I get to talk about singleness and what it's like to live as a single person, the impact that that has on me and my community and ministry. And really, it's a conversation about relationships. I don't think the topics that we cover today are really narrowed down to just single people. I believe that they can impact also couples who are in relationship about to be married, couples that are in marriage. Maybe it's someone who's divorced and they're figuring out how to start over. Maybe it's a single parent wondering, how do I have relationships with people from the relationships that I no longer have in my life? Wherever you are and in whatever place that you stand today, I hope that you're able to take away some nuggets that help you grow in the relationships and community around you and give you courage to be exactly who you are where God has you today. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about singleness. The goal, the purpose, what it is, what it isn't, the awkward but real stigmas that exist around singleness, especially when it comes to age, vulnerability, and intimacy. How do you choose the right person? And how do we be intentional with the relationships that we have in our community? On this episode, I am here with Sarah. And before we start, I just wanted to say, if I was going to platform a person to talk about holiness, intimacy with the Lord, and the relentless pursuit of obedience to the calling that God's placed in their life, in their singleness, in their personhood, in their identity, it would be Sarah Cooper. So with that said, I'm excited for the wisdom that you're, you're getting ready to share and how the Lord is going to use this conversation specifically. Thank you, Ilya. I really appreciate those words. What comes to mind is I never would have thought that I would be in the stage of life that I am single having this conversation with you right now. You can laugh. Yeah, <laughs> He just tried to like stifle it. Just try to hold it in. Yeah. <laughs> like let it go. I never thought that I would be in my 40s single. That is not the plan that I had for myself. Most people think I'm a lot younger than I am, and I act a lot younger than I am, and I look a lot younger than I am, praise be. I think that's actually just a supernatural Praise be to gift. God, yeah. But yeah, I'm in my early 40s, and I am single, and I just never thought I would be here. There can be a lot of shame attached to the word singleness because of all different kinds of reasons. But, you know, dating and the American culture of dating is fairly new. It's a fairly new concept, you know, and yeah. it used to be that you wouldn't be single. You would have your marriage arranged and then it would be a contractual agreement. It served all different kinds of purposes depending on the culture that you were in. And so, this whole singleness and the American culture's view of that and how we operate in that is fairly new. And so being raised in a home with two parents that weren't divorced, 
are still married, have celebrated 55 years of marriage. My parents are older. I had this concept that, of course, I'm going to get married. And of course, I'm going to have kids, probably as soon as I graduate high school. Honestly, the culture around me set me up for that expectation. There's a lot of conversation. You just wait till you find that guy. You just Mm. wait till you're a mom and you're going to have so many kids. I'm fed this expectation and this hope and this anticipation of this happening. And then it doesn't. And I'm like, what do I do with this? In conversation, but also I think about entertainment like our culture. Every Disney movie that I grew up on was centered around courting of a prince showing up to sweep you off your feet. The romanticism that exists around that, that also feeds into those conversations that we have. Or that, you know, somehow I'm going to be left an inheritance of some sort of like cafe and I'm going to go back and I'm going to run the cafe and the guy in town is going to like meet me and we're going to fall in love. It's a Hallmark movie, right? Yeah, I was just going to say shout out to Hallmark. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, we have, I think, an idea sometimes in the back of our minds that that's what we're waiting for, end Mm. quote. It's not real. It's not real for many people. Something I've also learned is that even when people do meet their spouses, I thought about this for a book of of writing a different chapter and every chapter was a different couple and how they met their spouse because that in itself is so diverse and so different and the circumstances around it and how it comes about and how it happens is so different for every couple And yet we want this formula. If you do this, 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 then you're going to get this. Yeah, the secret recipe. Right. To having a relationship and being married. I'll be honest. I tried to use that formula when I graduated high school. But unfortunately, I had so much inner work that I needed to do that I found myself oftentimes leaving people better than I found them but I would be absolutely destroyed. And I couldn't understand why my relationships with guys weren't working because I was doing all the right things that my perception of what the culture around me was telling me to do. I thought I was doing that. And yet in my dating life, I was experiencing relationships that were really not healthy for me or not right for me. And I would be there trying to be this codependent, encouraging supporter, like, let me care for you. Let me love you. And they would take, 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 mm. and then leave me when they were done or couldn't go any further. I remember dating a guy who I really liked, was really considering seriously, but I could feel, I could sense just in my maturity, this is like in my late 20s, that I was like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's quite ready, but I think I'm willing to take a chance just to to find out, like willing to be vulnerable. We had a really late night discussion, which don't advise. We were having a conversation about relationship. I remember him saying, Sarah, it's like I'm looking up at you in a tower. I'm looking up at you in a tower and you're so high up and it's going to take so much work to get to you. And he's like, I don't think I can do it. And I was quiet and I was asking the Lord, I'm like, Lord, what do you, what do you say to that? Because I actually had compassion because I, I could see him wrestling. I could see yeah. him burdened. The Lord gave me this picture of putting the Lord's hand next to him and saying, step in my hand. 
And this guy stepped in the Lord's hand and the Lord lifted him right up like an elevator up to where I was. And so God was giving him an invitation. Hey, if you draw close to me, you won't have any problem reaching her. But he couldn't make the connection. And I, at that point in my life, had chosen that I was not going to teach a man how to love me. I wanted a man to know how to love God. And if he knew how to love God, he was going to know how to love me. Or he would be able and humble enough to learn how to love me. That relationship and another relationship brought me to a decision to stop this search for this person and to actually say, hey, am I actually somebody I would want to marry? Like I keep looking for somebody I want to marry, but am I somebody that someone would want to marry? And so I took a pause and I was like, I'm going to lay off the relationship circuit because I mean, I dated a lot. I was like, I'm going to take a pause and I'm actually going to assess my own life and my own heart and mind and see where I'm at in, in the fact that am I ready to be a person for someone else? Because my track record with relationships wasn't well, great, yo. <laughs> like It was not stellar. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to give the Lord some time. And what happened in that, as a woman who she's nearing 30, I have young women around me who are making decisions to get married simply because they do not want to say that they were 30 and single. Yeah, I was going to say earlier when you were talking, it's not that you couldn't go out and find a husband. That wasn't the issue. Most people could go out and find somebody to be married to. I don't think that's the conversation. It is, is this the person I can live on mission with, glorify God with? Is this a pairing or, you know, Paul's language, uh, the yoke of, of marriage equally yoked in that sense? Yes. And I didn't want to date until I began to think differently. I was like, I need to think differently about this because my relationships are not showing the fruit that I would want to see if I found someone I wanted to marry. And I don't think I actually know how to choose a person anyway. (laughs) For sure, I think it's really important for people to realize you could be married right now. You could go out and you could choose someone and you could be married. You could. You could. But you have more than likely a standard inside that says, but I want this. And you haven't maybe met or been put in a situation or a place where that person would be. And so you wait. And I will never forget, I think I was 28 years old. I was having a moment of just like, this is hard. I don't want to be alone anymore. I don't have to do things alone anymore. And I was just crying out to the Lord. And I was like, Lord, why why am I still alone? What am I waiting for? Why has this not happened for me? And I heard the Lord so clearly say, Sarah, do you want my best? And I was like, of course I want your best. Lord, of course I want your best. He said, then you'll wait. The singleness didn't feel like a gift, but the Lord's encouragement was my gift. The Lord was the gift. And that is what I paused being in relationship to discover and find out. To discover and find out that the answer to my deepest longing for intimacy and how to learn to be vulnerable. First place I needed to start with with the Lord. I have to say, those have been the most 
precious years for me. These have been precious years of growing in intimacy with the Lord. And not just with the Lord, but as I learned to grow in intimacy and vulnerability with the Lord, He has taught me how to live in community and relationship with other people. Because now I'm, I'm thinking more like Him. I'm learning to be loved by Him. So when His love isn't present, I can discern, hey, that's not God's love. That's worldly love. And my responses and reactions start to change in my relationship based on what God is teaching me about how he loves me. Do not tell me that is wasted time. There's two things you've mentioned that I feel like come up pretty frequently in my conversations with, with single guys. This moment of pausing and wanting to reflect on what you've got going on in your life first, and then also the process that your relationship with God is not a means to a marriage, but that your relationship with God is the means to God himself. He is the means, the sustaining power, and he's the ultimate destination, irregardless of a spouse. And it means that now I'm like, if I meet them and I become married, amazing. I cannot wait. I desire it. Not everybody does, but I do. But if it doesn't come, Lord, thank you. Because right now I am doing as much as I can with the Lord as possible. What can I do for the kingdom? I know who I am. We've taken the time. He's told me who I am. I believe it. I've done a lot of work. I have done work yeah. on me. Uh, the identity formation, the calling, the pruning, the fruit bearing, all the good things. Amen and amen and amen. And it has been hard and beautiful and good I honestly would not trade this for anything. This has been good. If he blesses me with a partner, then praise God. But if not, you are enough. You are enough because I have community. I've grown in relationship. I have people. I have people that love me, that I love them. We work in relationship together. We work in community together. We're building kingdom and we're growing in kingdom mindset and we're going out and we're sharing with the world what God has done. It doesn't get better than that. Amen. At this point in my life, because I have really just surrendered to the Lord and am making the most of the time I have alone with him, a husband is cherry on top. I have a very clear desire of how I want to partner with someone and that I've been able to more clearly define, not define the person I want, but Amen. the kind of yep. partnership I want. That is wonderful and life-giving to be able to have the confidence of like, no, I, I know what I want. I'm no longer praying, Lord, would he have a job? And <laughs> these kind of desperate prayers are like, well, do you at least have a job? And, <laughs> you know, what I'm kind of like, I'll take what you can get, but would he have a job? That kind of thing. No, now it's it's because I know who I am and I know what I can do with the Lord and with the community around me. I need a partner who is truly going to go forward in those things with me, alongside me. And that when we get together and in our relationship, when we step away from the world and we're, we're together, that's going to be a restorative relationship. The person that I choose and walk in, I know now 
that person's going to be a restorative relationship. We are going to be kind to each other. We are going to refresh one another because everything outside in the world wants to take that. So the one place that that has been a safe haven for me to come home to with the Lord, I need a person, a partner who's going to agree with me that that's going to be our home and that's going to be our agreement to each other. But man. that starts before marriage. Amen. I think, man, Sarah, I think you're doing such a great job of maybe holding the tension would be the language, uh, but walking in balance of what it means to live on mission, but also the reality of longing for a spouse There's in the no midst of all There's no shame in that. Yeah, there isn't. And I say that because in my experience and in my church experience, I don't think I've heard the church hold that tension that well, or even talk about it that way. I think sometimes the church has viewed singleness as almost like a mission field or like an outreach ministry where we're like, mm, hey, yeah. all, all our married friends, let's try to help our single friends out. And I think unintentionally, I haven't, obviously I've never heard anybody say this, but unintentionally what's being communicated is that marriage is the end goal. Like that is if you are single and you're in pursuit of the Lord, that marriage is the end goal and that you have arrived when you get married. Growing up and you hear that and being on church staff and you hear the conversation centered around that. And I think, especially when it comes to age, that gets associated with holiness or obedience or is a reflection onto your relationship and your pursuit of the Lord. And I, I don't think it's healthy. I don't want to minimize and say, hey, you know, take your loneliness, put it on the back burner. Like it's just pursuing Jesus. I don't think that's a healthy conversation. I think acknowledging the reality of like what it means and the struggles of, of being single and the desire and longing, which is natural mm -hmm. and good and instilled in you by God for relationship is a beautiful and good thing. And yet, while we are in that space, we're actively pursuing the Lord. Yes, because as a single person, this may sound odd to some people, but I can go weeks because of my job and because of my work and travel and all those things, weeks without ever even getting a hug, ever being physically touched. That takes a toll on a person. Yeah. We can oftentimes talk about even physical longing with shame. Like we have to attach a purity conversation to it in order for it to be okay to talk about. Yep. No, the Lord made us to be in relationship with others. So we don't have, it doesn't have to be sexual. It's just the yeah. fact that God has put in us the need for connection and to be cared for. You know, that's just one thing, right? That we as people who are single have to contend with. We hold the tension of the weariness of that. And I know that there are going to be people who are married that listen to that. The inner voice might be saying, yeah, well, you don't know what it's like to be married. No, I don't. But there are many people who are married that have no idea what it's like to be single for as long as I have and how yeah. to endure that. Oh, yeah. That's powerful. And the patience and the purity that is required to hold that place in a way that honors myself and honors the Lord. And so the ask, I think, is can you just hold that with me and not necessarily go to your experience? and what you wish I knew about yours, but take a moment to consider what it takes to live this well, and that it takes some courage, and it takes a whole lot of dependency on God, just as marriage does, just in a different way. When someone is as vulnerable as you are being right now, Sarah, 
the temptation for someone to go, yeah, but you're single and you get to go do all this stuff and you, you know, your autonomy and independence and all the, as if that's a counter or that should supersede the very real feelings that you're feeling right now. And I don't think that's fair. I wish the conversation could be more balanced. I will say the majority of my friends are married. And the reason that there are people that are married that have access to me is that they don't treat me like a single person. They treat me as Sarah. Can you elaborate on that for people that might not know the difference? The goal is not to get me married in my friendships. The goal is to cultivate my intimacy and relationship with the Lord and with them. That's it. And if I desire them to help me in dating or want them to consider and ask for help, I can do that. Be like, hey, do you know anybody that might be good, you know, to meet and to go on a date? And I can ask for that. And maybe they will consider and say, hey, yeah, I do. But that is not the goal in our relationship. And that is not a primary focus. We get to just be with one another, me as Sarah, and they as who they are. And we grow in our relationship with the Lord and with each other, just as is. That's what it means to have a relationship. And we have that if we're married or we're single. And I know that may sound really simplistic, but we can have so many underlying motivations when we don't understand how to operate in health with other people. And manipulation is so subtle in relationship. And so when we take the time to discover who we are and who God says we are, we live more authentically with other people. And that's what we need before we even consider stepping into a marriage. I think out of our desire to have a spouse, we do certain things to accomplish that goal. And we talked about earlier that Jesus is the means and he is the goal. I had a conversation with a young guy who's also very hungry to have a spouse, to be married. He longs for it. He goes, dude, this is not a gift. I'm not stoked about this at all. And the conversation that we had was him really going through saying like, hey, I'm, I'm plugged into my church community. I'm reading the scriptures and spending time with the Lord. I'm doing these things. And the relationship didn't really work out. All of those things because they were not the goal, they were the means, went away. As soon as the relationship didn't work out, those things go by the wayside. In that process, discovering like, hey, I'm still super addicted to pornography. I am still super bitter or holding grudges or unforgiveness. I think sometimes the Lord uses those moments to take us deeper with Him and if we bypass those moments in pursuit of a spouse, we miss the Lord. Because I know him and we're friends um, and we're close. And I just said, hey, man, look, I want to be honest with you. I would be protecting people from the current version of you. And I, I said, eight years of marriage with my spouse, what I've learned is anything that I did not take care of prior to my marriage with Taylor was magnified in my marriage with Taylor. She is not the solution to my brokenness. She is a partner in the calling and mission that God has put us on. So yeah. the idea that once you have this spouse or once you have this person, the wounds and brokenness in your own life will be solved and not magnified. And now you're dragging your spouse into the mess that you have not dealt with. 
And so I think sometimes when, when I'm talking with either high school guys or college guys and, or young adults and they're longing for marriage and I'm like, Hey, I think that's awesome. And I, I want to partner with you in prayer in those things. But at the same time, don't miss the Lord on the journey. If you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with whatever, take care of that first before you invite another person into that relationship. And in some ways, it's not that the Lord doesn't want you to be married. He just wants to protect your spouse from this current version of you. It's an invitation to intimacy. And so I wanted to say that because you were you were talking about understanding who you are in Christ first and taking care of that now as you are pursuing or looking for your person. I agree that the phrase singleness is a gift. It's just wrongly used, but singleness is good. Let's say that yeah. singleness is good because singleness does not equal being alone. The Lord doesn't want us to be alone, but singleness doesn't equal that. If you are faithfully pursuing community and relationships and how to live in healthy, God-honoring relationships, powerful relationships around you, you don't need a marriage for that. And so I want to encourage people with that. That being said, the more I was thinking about relationships and singleness and marriage, another reason why I am okay being single is I have enough stories from married people. And I've seen enough unhappy people in marriage that that alone is a testimony to me Mm. that I want to be sure that number one, I've done enough work that I'm not expecting someone else to fix something in me when I show up and they show up. I want to have done that work. I'm not going to have it complete. If I do meet that person, I want to be in a place where the work can only continue with them. And I've been working hard on that. I love who I am and I'm excited at who I get to bring to that person as a gift. The work I've done will be a gift to whoever I get to partner with. And honestly, the work I've done is a gift to the community around me that I'm serving and loving and living in because it just means that I can love that much greater. My capacity is that much greater and that my distractions are that much less. And that benefits those around me. What you just said brought something to my mind, and it was um, a book called Livology. Taylor and I read it for our premarital, and it completely changed my perspective on the engagement of your pursuit of your spouse um, and your person. And you made a comment about seeing enough unhappy couples that it opened your eyes. And I think sometimes the idea of marriage, because it is really romanticized, becomes a pursuit of happiness that Mm. I'm going to find somebody who's going to complete me and make me happy. John Mark Homer is the author of the book, and there's a quote from it. And it says, the point of marriage isn't to find your missing half. It's to help each other become all that God intended our future real selves. In marriage, two people partner to the end. Marriage is two broken people coming together to find healing in Jesus. They see the best in each other, the person God created them to be, and they push and pull each other towards that goal. I would say the way that I look for partnership is not even just in somebody I'm looking to marry, but in also friendships, in work, In organizations I partner with, my approach would be very similar, but the level of intimacy and vulnerability is the one thing that adjusts. 
Don Miller, who is a famous author and is the CEO for StoryBrand, he had a great, great model that I have really clung to and really resonated with me. It was an example, a word picture that helped me understand what looking for relationships should look like. He said that he was going to therapy my therapist listens to our podcast, so don't think I can get away with anything. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> he was saying that a therapist was like, grab three pillows off the couch and put them on the floor. So he and another person did that. And she said, now step on a pillow and keep one in the center. So they did that. And she said, you standing on that pillow, that is you. That is your person. That is the, the person that God made you to be. That is who you are. When you step onto that center pillow, that's your relationship. Now, when that other person frustrates you, makes you mad, or does something that you don't like, you cannot go over on their pillow and tell them what to do and tell them how to be. That's their pillow. That's who they are. But when you are stepping on that center pillow in relationship, you are deciding if who that person is, is someone that you can stand on that pillow and not want to change. And if you can't stand on that pillow with that person and look at them and not want to go and change them and control and manipulate and tell them you need to be this so that I have a happy and good life. If you can't do that, then you need to step off that relationship pillow back onto your own and say that this isn't going to work for me. I'm looking for somebody who's going to stand on that pillow and we have done due diligence to look at each other and say, I choose this person standing here and I am not going to go and stand on their pillow and try and change them or hope to change them or make them different than who they are. I'm going to choose to decide that this is a person that I'm willing to risk that once we commit to this, there's no getting out of it. And hopeful, we only change for the better if we change, but there's no guarantee. The desire to want to see someone change, to me, if when you're dating or you're courting or whatever language you want to use, but you are looking for a partner and you find the bulk of your time trying to change their character or who they are is a massive yellow, if not red flag for me. When I think of myself prior to getting married to Taylor, there was like a couple of non-negotiables. I wanted to marry somebody who had a heart for the Lord. God comes first, then everything else. And there is a genuine desire in them to want to pursue and be more like Jesus. The evidence of that is way more important than anything they can say to me or anything that they can show me because that's the guiding light in the midst of frustration. If I know that the person that I'm pursuing or that I'm interested in is submitted to Jesus before everything else, that that foundation in their life is real and present will be okay. But if I find myself being frustrated with fundamental or foundational character things, then I'm like, that is not my place to step in and try to fix or change the arrogance in that desire to assume that you are the Holy Spirit, because yeah. the Holy Spirit is the only change agent. It's not my job to convict. It's yeah. not my job to st step in and direct. That's the Lord's work. Yeah, Ilya. And, and that's hard. That's hard when you're at the level of vulnerability and intimacy. And, and I would say like when you are vulnerable with someone, you are giving them power. So the person that yeah. you are being vulnerable with, you want to know that they are tethered to the Lord and that they are tethered to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what I want and what I want to be and what I will be 
And and here's the thing. I love this powerful language, right? And when I say powerful, I mean powerful by the Holy Spirit. Powerful language says, I am going to manage me in this relationship, any relationship. I'm going to manage me and I'm going to have a high level of expectation and responsibility on me to do that. But if you are going to be in relationship with me, I'm going to have a high level of expectation and responsibility on you to meet me there where I am. And if you can't, then it's my job to tell you, hey, this isn't working for me. And this is why. It's my job to communicate, but not to change. That's the difference. If I'm going to come to this place of vulnerability where I'm allowing this person to have power in my life and to have intimacy with me, what I'm doing, I'm putting a weapon in their hands. Vulnerability, I think, is a double-edged sword for sure. And that person gets to choose if they're going to use it. And how beautiful would it be to be in relationship with a person who has enough weaponry to do damage to you for a lifetime and they will not pick it up and they will not use it against you. I want that because I can do that, but I need someone to meet me at the same level and do the same so that when we walk into a restorative place, we're going to refresh each other. We're going to build each other up so that the battle isn't in my home, but it is rightly where it should be outside of it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be arguments, disagreements, suffering, pain. That's part of it, but it's not going to be what we do to each other intentionally. We will have made an agreement that if we break that, that we have to quickly restore and go to the one who can do that for us. And that's the Lord. That's what I want. That's not too much to ask for. And that's God's best. Hearing you talk about what you want and what the Lord has for you. I thought it'd be fun to go, Sarah, do you have any hills you're, you're going to die on, whether it's practical or things that are big picture stuff? Like the thing that comes to my mind is I knew at a very young age when I was in high school that God had specifically called me to ministry. I love Jesus so much. I knew it then. I knew I know it now. The fire that started then is still burning now. And I remember sitting across a coffee table with Taylor at a Starbucks and looking her in the eye. And I said, look, if we're going to get married, I need you to know this. God has called me into ministry. I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, hell or high water. And if you can't get on board with that, we can't get married. Like it was like, this is it. And similar to what you're saying, the partnership that is both missional and you're in a place in your life where, man, Sarah, there is so much maturity in your spirituality, your spiritual formation, your walk with the Lord. You have a concrete picture of who God has built you to be, who he's called you to be and where he's leading you. I would be hard pressed for all of that to randomly change one day if you find somebody. The image I, I see for you is somebody who is going to be an aide and a true partner in the mission that God has called both of you to. I don't see a conflict of interest in that when I pray mm -hmm. for your spouse as your friend. And I just thought it'd be fun. Like, what would be like a deal breaker for you? You know, if he sleeps with his socks on, you're like, that's a no-go. That's really funny because there's only one thing I can think of. And it's kind of, I don't know if I should even share it. One thing that my dad prayed over us kids, which was, it's so funny. My therapist is always like, you know, that's not a normal prayer. He would always pray over us kids that we would be radically obedient to the Lord. Most parents pray that their kids are blessed and that they're successful and they, yeah. they reach these endeavors. But my dad's prayer was, Lord, would you lead them to be radically obedient to you? And I would say that I need, it's a deal breaker 
if he's scared of being obedient to the Lord. I want him to be able to be recklessly obedient. That to me is a game changer in a lot of different ways that we could live that partnership in freedom and humility. He cannot be in a place where he's still proving himself. That would be really important. The practical thing, and this sounds so silly. <laughs> I'm having a hard time saying it out loud. I'm here for I, it. <laughs> I remember talking to a buddy on the phone and just sharing. I was dating a guy and I wasn't being disrespectful or rude. I guess I, I wasn't satisfied with the relationship and where it was going. And I was being petty about what I was complaining about. My friend he goes, and this is why we have community and why I love my friends being so direct and give them permission to do this. He goes simply, he goes, Sarah, you're bored. He bores you. And I was like, oh, you're right. And I was dating him because I was bored. I was passing time. So I quickly ended that in a very kind and respectful way. But I need somebody who's not going to bore me because the Lord has made my life really exciting. That doesn't mean I go and do a bunch of exciting things. I could use some more adventure in my life, if I'm honest. But the Lord is so exciting to me and he is so fun. And I'm not even talking like this guy has to be super spiritual, but a critical thinker. I don't want to be bored. And I don't want to bore him. That would be a deal breaker if I'm bored. To that challenge and me. be challenged. Yeah. Yeah. I want somebody who's going to challenge me and kind of be a bit of a radical in some ways, probably. Not necessarily a maverick, but well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? We don't <laughs> want to set limits here. Um, Ilya and Taylor have prayed for my husband so diligently. I think sometimes they're more excited and ready than I am for him to come. But it blesses me so much because it, it is going to be a beautiful day. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we are excited. Partner in prayer. Talk about it. Dream about it. Have conversations. You mentioned somebody that you're not going to be bored with. You know, I thought the same thing for myself. And you know Taylor and I very well. We're yeah. very different people, like very, very different people. At first, I, I started thinking to myself, I was like, man, I don't know if I see Sarah with somebody who's like a pacifist, you know? But then I started thinking, I was like, well, maybe that would be the challenge because you are so empowered and you are so, you have so much clarity and vision and you're direct. Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, like I was like, man, I don't see that. But then I was like, Ilya, uh, no. actually, maybe no. that would be the that, challenge. No, that's not the right kind of challenge. <laughs> It's not the right kind. No. The jury don't is you, still out. Don't you speak the that The jury is still out. Um, oh, no. Yes, I, I don't. I do not want to run circles around anyone. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to me, though. God knows. Gosh, we'll, a pacifist. Dude, Lord help me. Lord help me. Lord help him. That would, I feel worse for him than I would for me. That's funny. So somewhere in between a pacifist and a maverick. I wanted to ask this because I've heard you mention it twice and you mentioned being intentional with your community. Mm -hmm. So you talked about loneliness and you said a spouse isn't always the solution, which I thought was interesting because you just mentioned dating somebody because you're bored. And I think a lot of people do that. I think mm -hmm. because they feel lonely or they get bored, they enter into relationships and it's not fair to them. It's not fair to the person that they're dating. I think sometimes it ends up 
being a waste of time um, and can lead to Pandora's box. But you've mentioned it a few times that dating is not the solution to loneliness and that community is really important. From your perspective or experience or both, what are you doing to cultivate the relationships that you already have? How do you grow in the relationships that you already have? How do you cultivate community for yourself? Part of the inner work is discovering what I need to be well. And if I know what I need to be well, to be connected to God, to be connected to my community, and to be aware and connected to myself, I need to know what those things are in order to practice them and to put them into practice. And so because I'm doing that work, I have not arrived, but because I'm doing that work and I'm learning and growing in that all the time, I know also when I'm disconnecting from it. So I know when I'm connected to those things and I know when I'm disconnecting to those things for whatever reason. And so I have to do, honestly, a weekly check-in with myself of saying, okay, it's the end of the week. I'll probably do it in the morning. I usually do it on Saturday mornings if I'm not working and do a check-in just like, what do I need? Have I been in conversation vulnerably with the people in my life? Am I avoiding that? Why would I be avoiding that? I do that inner check. And then if there's a deficit, then I need to go and I need to adjust what I'm doing to enter back into community and relationship. But that's where you learn to discipline yourself to do that. And you also give other people who have that level of intimacy with you, you give them permission to check in and ask you about it as well. That's really important. And if you don't have relationships of people checking in, it goes back to, I manage myself in this relationship, but if you're not meeting me in the same place, then it's my job to let you know. So if I don't have people asking me, it's my job to reach out to them and say, hey, I need connection right now. Do you have time? And then also maybe even having a further, more in-depth conversation of saying, it would be really nice if you would check in on me every once in a while. Sometimes I feel like I'm always checking in with you. Would it be possible for you to check in with me? And if that person can't do that, then their level of access to you might have to change. I think it's a two-way street. I love that you are talking about self-advocacy. Like you're like, hey, you know what you need. You do a self-assessment. You know that you need vulnerability. You know you need intimate community, life-on-life relationships. So you advocate for yourself. On the receiving end, on the flip side, I would encourage the community or the married couple or whatever and remind them that vulnerability is not demanded, it's granted. So it's really good. Asking your single friend out on one coffee date and then nothing comes out of that. And you're like, well, I talked to them that one time and then they didn't really, I didn't know all that stuff was going on. Like, hey, it might take a couple of times. Like it be patient, but be consistent and make margin for those relationships. Vulnerability is not demanded, it's granted, but that is a two-way street. So I love the self-advocacy, but I would also encourage on the receiving end to lean into that and be consistent in that as well. Yes, it can be discouraging if you don't feel like you have that in abundance, but I honestly don't know very many people that do have that in abundance. On both sides. I would agree. Correct. Yeah. So sometimes I think the world of social media and the perceptions that we can have of what we see of people in social interactions and social communities, we can have this perception 
that they have more than you have, but that's not necessarily true. But the point I think of this as well is that if you are a person who is single, this is something you need to work out in community because you will definitely be working that out in marriage if marriage is something that comes along later. So work it out in community first, rather than using it as a science experiment in your marriage. There's a lot of opportunity in singleness. What I would say is make the most of it and enjoy it. And it may be the rest of your life. And that can be very good. That can be very, very good. But do you know the Lord in such a way that that actually would be something that you could say yes to? Amen. doesn't mean that your desire is wrong. Not at all. Patiently wait on the Lord, not on a person. Join us on the next podcast where we go deeper into the questions that you have asked us through social media and answer those in the best way that we know how. We're looking forward to it and we'll see you there.